Well, we greet uh, a friend that uh, we've interacted with a number of times in person and, and uh, via computer over the last number of years, but somebody that I just have such a great respect for and admiration for. His name, great name, Israel Wayne. Uh, and uh, welcome to uh, this podcast, Israel. Oh, thank you, brother. It's a blessing to be back with you. Let me tell you just a little bit more about him, Israel. Uh, and his dear wife uh, are parents to 11 children, and he is passionate, as you will hear in his comments, about defending the Christian faith and developing a biblical worldview. He's the director of a ministry called Family Renewal, which is which uh, speaks to the issue of family, and he travels the, the world, literally speaking, as the author of books, uh, in fact, uh, one of those questions God asks and questions Jesus asks, among others, a couple books. And uh, you can find more on their website, which is familyrenewal.org. So again, Israel, thanks for taking a few minutes to uh, speak with us today. Absolutely. It's always a delight. So let's just start with what's obvious to anybody that, that you know, is, is watching this thing. Eleven children. <laughs> I I have to laugh because Marsh and I only have 12. So between the two of us, you know, we have almost two dozen. So talk to, you know, let's, let's just spend a couple minutes talking about how is it, I, I mean, I've shared, I think, on this uh, podcast before how we end up, ended up with not just the four that I was done with, but now 12 and 36 grandkids, by the way, at this moment. But uh, how about for you? What 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 went into you and your wife deciding that, we're going to be open to have more than the the two or three that most couples have. Well, I was raised in a single parent family, um, at least in my teen years. My mom was a single parent. She had six children. I had five sisters and no brothers. So we were considered a large family at yeah, that time, with six sure. children. And uh, so for my mentality, um, Growing up, I always thought that there was a lot of advantage in having a larger family because you always had uh, other people around you to be able to spend time with and and do things with. So um, I, I, when I was a young adult and I was thinking about getting married, um, I actually had by that time developed uh, a basic biblical theology of the family, uh, you know, not as robust as I would say it is today and, and not as robust as it will be, Lord willing, in 40 years from now. Sure. <laughs> I'm still working on it. Yeah, I get but it. I get I, it. But I saw that all the way through Scripture, children <laughs> were always recommended as being a blessing and a gift and a reward and an inheritance from the Lord. And those are huge words, you know, and, and those are all things that I think all of us want. Right. 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 And, for sure. and yet in our culture. You know, the things that we tend to pursue are material things, and we're usually warned against those things. We're told not to lay up treasure for ourselves and the things that moth and rust and thieves can steal and destroy. Right. We're also uh, warned against, you know, going into uh, great debt and, you know, pursuing the American dream, if you will. Yeah. Uh, just for, for the sake of status and looking good. And, and in Deuteronomy, we're actually told that that pursuing um, those things uh, at the cost of uh, financial stability is a curse. And yet what I saw in America was people uh, pursuing debt and avoiding children. 
Yeah. And I thought this is so backwards to what the Bible says about who is blessed and who is rewarded. And it just seemed like we had our value system all messed up. So I was hoping to find a wife that would have a biblical mm. theology of the family. Um, I, I did. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, I guess you did. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's one of the most won- wonderful people I've ever met. And uh-huh. uh, but she didn't come. So she came from a Christian family, which is great. But she didn't come from a big family. She actually came from a family of just her and her brother. And uh, on both sides of her family, going back for a long ways, you had small families. Yeah. Uh, you know, one or two children per family. And so she didn't grow up with a lot of cousins. She didn't grow up with, you know, a large family dynamic at all. So when we got married, she wanted to have a large family, but it was something that was new for her. And it wasn't something that experientially she had lived through. But the Lord's blessed us with 11 children. We, our oldest is now 22. Our baby is just two. So we have a lot of parenting years in front of us yet. Uh, but I think it's been just one of the most blessed decisions that we've ever made to, to not say to God, uh, we don't want another child. Mm. And I, I had to explain this one time to a, a relative of mine who, who didn't get it, you know, who didn't understand why we keep having more children. Sure. And uh, I, I said to this uh, this person who who loves all of my children, of course, of you know, course, kind of, of course, yeah. Which one do you want to get rid of? You know, I, I said, what you know, what what would we do? Like, if we were just going to say, oh, we we don't want we, we don't want Charity in our family anymore, yeah. or we don't want Zoe in our family, or you know, we don't want yeah. Rael in our family, or Cademan, or whoever, you know, naming our children. Sure. Wh- which one of those would we just not want? Yeah, exactly. And exactly, you know. I, <laughs> I don't know if it got through to them or not, but I think they could see a little bit how enriched our lives are by each one of those individuals. And it's not just a mass or a group of people. They're, they're individuals who have that's, that's right. phenomenally enriched our lives. So yeah. we're, we're very blessed. And each one created in the image of God. And our baby now is 29 years old and he is married as two kids and, uh, lives in Austin, Texas, but I, I could go through each one. But again, briefly on our story, we were done at four. I mean, I was just done. Uh, we couldn't afford anymore. I was sure of that. We couldn't fit anymore in our car or our house. And, uh, you know, it would be just nice to kind of, you know, four is a good number. We had four lovely daughters and Marcia, who came from a small family, just two sisters, no brothers, she, she is so gutsy and so amazing. She just prayed a prayer. She just said, Lord, four is enough. But if you want us to have more, change Randy. Because she was willing, but I really wasn't. And God began to mess with me and showing me from the Bible the value of children. Psalm 127, blessed is he whose quiver is full, et cetera, et cetera. And how God opens a womb and closes the womb. said, all right, all right, we will quit putting a prevention between sex and children and I'm quite sure God, who who is merciful and wise, understands we can't, we we really can't afford anymore, and so on. And that's enough. And He will close March's womb. Well, that worked out pretty well. Um, and I'm so thankful. I could cry for days, knowing all of them, but certainly numbers five through twelve, and knowing who they are and how special they are, how they're impacting the world in in ways that I never could myself. And yet, for me to have made the decision, nope, they're not going to be around because, oh, they are just precious. 
And I could go through every one. I mean, they're influencing. Someone has said, and it's not original with me, but I love it. Children are messages that we send to a time and a place that we ourselves can never go. They're like missionaries to the future. And I mean, I could just, we could take time. I don't want to take the time to go through each one, how they're walking with the Lord by his grace, total his grace, and in influencing lives just everywhere that God is planting them. Not perfectly, any more than the parents are perfect, but in a, in a way seeking the Lord. It's just total answer to prayer. And again, we could talk about how there's not overpopulation in our world. There's underpopulation. China just lost 850,000 people last year, and that's going to try and influence. They used to say one, one child per family in China. Now they want three. It's not working. Uh, American white population is uh, deaths are outnumbering births. The average age in America has never been higher, and it's going up. And uh, we could talk a lot, but the bottom line to me is lordship of Christ. We Followers of Christ have been taught Jesus is supposed to be Lord of every area of our life. How about the area of family size? Say, Lord, we're willing, if you want us to have, you're the one that makes kids. We're not, biology doesn't make kids. God makes kids in the womb. Psalm 139, just look at it. Anyhow, thanks for sharing. And thanks for your guts, you and your wife, to just have a, that big group of kids. Is God providing resources for you so that you actually have food more than just oatmeal and beans every day? <laughs> yeah, God has always provided. We have never That's missed so a cool. meal. We've never missed a, a bill. We have always been able to support the family, which is pretty miraculous considering the fact that I uh, have a job without a, a regular paycheck. I'm yeah. an author and conference speaker. And so, yeah. um, you know, you really live by faith when you do what I do. And yet I believe that... There's so many different quotes, but there's, you know, some have uh, through church history, but yeah. there are so many quotes along the lines of, you know, that God never calls us to something without failing to equip us. Yeah. And so when, when God wants us to do something and he leads mm -hmm. us in a certain direction, his provision will be there to match the call. Yep. Yep. Well, let's talk for a minute. You, you wrote an article I saw on Facebook that prompted me to, to set this thing up. I mean, our culture is not real positive in, in the godly direction. In fact, the Wall Street Journal just real recently put up a poll, and I, I'm going to share the screen here just so our folks can temporarily see it, and we'll keep talking about it. Um, and uh, and here it is. Can you see that on your side? Yes. Okay. Yes. Just notice, this is America's values trends from 1998 to 2023, 25 years, patriotism dropping from 70% to 38%, religion from 62% to 39% as far as being important. How about having children? From 59% it was important to 30% today being important. Well, something we're just talking about. But money, oh yeah, that's important. So, I mean, these are just some of the things that folks consider to be of value but uh, religion, look at that reduction. And uh, again, our our kids uh, are in a, a very secular culture at this point that's totally confused about, um, you know, gender and and uh, you know, right and wrong and and uh, you know, absolute truth and and you know, another statistic I recently saw is that uh, talking about high school age girls, sixty percent. 
um, have problems with depression and anxiety. 30% of American high school girls are contemplating suicide. 30%, one out of three. And again, the guys are a little less than that as far as percentage, but a higher percentage of boys are actually committing suicide. They follow through with it. But anyhow, what, what's what's causing all this shift in values among our kids? Yeah, there's several different studies, such as the ones that you referenced, that are pointing that we're we're trending in the wrong direction on in almost every point. Mm-hmm. So American Bible Society says that we have less biblical literacy than ever. There was just a new research study that came out uh, about a month ago from George Barna, and he's always updating his biblical worldview uh, study. He does mm-hmm. that every every few years. And uh, we actually just dropped an additional 2% since he did it three three years ago. So in 2020, he found that 6% of Americans hold to some basic biblical values. I wouldn't even call it biblical worldview. I would just say some basic biblical values. Uh-huh. And, um, and it's down 2% now to only 4% of Americans. But among the 18 to 29-year-old range, um, it's, it's less than 1% now. Wow. And so we are uh, just on the verge of oblivion when it comes to biblical Christianity uh, in America. We have about 70 percent of all youth leaving church before they graduate high school. Mm. An additional 70 percent of those going into college saying I'm a Christian Uh, by the end of their freshman year. If they go to a secular college or university, they say I'm no longer a Christian. Mm. Um, And and so, you know, we we basically have have lost an entire generation in terms of Christianity, even though we have more resources available today than ever before. We have more Bibles, we have more radio programming, Mm, we have more, uh, you know, Christian content available at a fingertip um, than we've ever had in the history of the world. And yet this, this generation of youth um, knows less about the Bible has more of a negative impression of Christianity than any other generation. Uh, just the statistics that show their commitment and adherence to socialism and Marxism, mm-hmm. uh, it's just going off the charts yeah. compared to what it was 20 years ago. Their confusion about their gender and their sexual yeah. identity, never been, has a generation been more confused about who they are sexually than this generation of young people. Never has a generation had more anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the leading cause of teenagers in, in America today behind accidents is homicide. Yeah. And number three is suicide. Yep. And you know we have a, a generation that has become absolutely. Well, drug addiction is an, an issue and it, it's a concern. We have a generation that's addicted to their devices, and. I was just at a technology conference in Pennsylvania about two weeks ago. I was speaking there and listening to the other speakers and they were showing charts that correlate the, the connection between issues like depression uh, among teenagers and and linking it to their social media usage Uh Yeah, and uh, how, how as social media has just skyrocketed. So has Mm -hmm. uh, social isolation and depression Young people have less friends, real life friends than they've ever had before. Sure. Um, they experience now cyber bullying, which is kind of a new phenomenon because, um, you know, back in the day, there's always been bullies. 
but but today they said that the the group that bullies the most online is actually teenage girls and that the kind of harassment and online cyberbullying that happens from teenage girls to other teenage girls is as appalling if if you read the content of it and and thank god my my teenagers i don't encourage them to get into six till they're 16 years old to get into social media so we've avoided a lot of that with, with our own children we haven't experienced that with them but I, I just think about you know a 14 year old girl she wants to fit in with her friends more than anything else in the world and yet some of the tweets and the the private messages that she'll receive from her her friend group quote unquote yeah. they'll say things like everyone hates you <laughs> why don't you just kill yourself yeah yeah i yeah. mean can you imagine like teenage girl saying that to a, a 13 14 year old yep. girl yep. who wants more than anything to be accepted by her yes. friends yes um yeah. and so you ask yourself well what's you know what's contributing to all this what's causing all this i think i think obviously the lack of true spiritual discipleship uh correlated to a generation that's more media saturated and immersed than any other Sure. generation that has easy access to pornography that has has completely lost touch with their own identity mm-hmm. that's lost touch with their true history mm-hmm. uh, they've been taught that our nation uh, is a symbol of oppression they've been taught that christianity is a symbol of oppression they've lost their heroes they've lost their values yeah. they've lost their very identity um you know, I have right now four teenagers that live in my home and I have two young adults uh, that have graduated. And I just think about it as a dad. And, and while, thank God, I'm not experiencing those kinds of mm-hmm. uh, maladies, you know, with my own young people because they know that their mom and dad love them. Uh, they have a, a vibrant faith in Christ uh, they have healthy relationships. I, I mean, I think our children have been, been, you know, really blessed by God in so many ways that they haven't personally experienced that. Yep. But you can just identify with it, you know, as a dad, when you have teenagers that age and and you just think, wow, that could be my child. And and I, with family renewal, with what I do for for ministry, travel all over the world and talk to parents. And I hear these stories over and over, kids cutting themselves, kids... Yeah who are, you know, addicted to substances, teens who have gone through all kinds of identity crises, uh, who, who now no longer know what gender they are. Uh, Randy, these are just heartbreaking, heartbreaking yeah. stories. Yeah. And, well, let and me as just, a Christian parent, it just makes you, it just makes you cry yeah. out to God. So, so let me just stop at that point. I mean, <laughs> we started by saying, you know, we have big families and that's great to have a lot of kids, but you just gave a lot of reasons why a, a couple that doesn't want pain would not want to have any kids in our day because it's such a challenge. You know what I'm saying? And yet, so what the question is, what do you do? What, what, I mean, you started saying some of those things, but what do you suggest these parents that have two, three, four, five, six, seven, or more kids do to shield these kids from the culture, the lies of the culture and get them to to in the middle of the all this confusion to be vibrant followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for people who are parents, I, I wrote a book called Raising Them Up, Parenting uh-huh. for Christians. 
And in this book, I have a whole <laughs> chapter where I talk about the importance of, of time and affirmation. And mm-hmm. those two things, I think, are the two things that our children need the most from what, us. As what was parents. the first one? Okay, affirmation. Time. 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 Okay, yes. And and so, you know, the, the U.S. government in 2020, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Department of Labor Statistics came out with a study that said the average mom today spends one hour a day interacting with her children. And the average father is now 29 minutes. Okay. And these students are getting seven and a half hours a day of school. And then they come home and they get seven and a half hours of multimedia after school. Mm -hmm. So 15 hours of their day is taken up with sources that unfortunately, in most cases, are actually anti-Christian and that are pulling them away from the values of their Christian parents. And parents are getting, you know, an hour a day at the most. And dad's only 29 minutes. And, and that will never balance out. If you want influence in the life of your child, you have to spend more time with them than anybody else. So one of the questions that I've asked as a dad that we've asked as parents is, what can we do to get time back? <laughs> and so we've looked at the two biggest portions of their day, their schooling and mm-hmm. multimedia, and yep. said, we want to own that time. Sure. So a couple of decisions that we made early on in our marriage was we were going to homeschool all of our children, and we were going to severely limit screen time. Sure. And so a few decisions we made even before we were married is we would not have cable television and we would not have video games. Okay. And and I'm not saying this in in the sense of, you know, that we're the model for everybody else. Everybody yep, else yep. has to do yep. what we do. Yep. Uh, or, you know, some promoting some kind of a weird legalism. Not yep. the point. Yep. Good. You know, Good. You, you're the parent. <laughs> you do what what God leads you to do for your family. There's no yep. Bible verse that says don't have cable television and don't do video games. So I want to be real clear on that. But. <laughs> But I just, you know, I've seen so many stories and just talked to so many families over the years yep. that I've only ever heard parents with addicted teenagers and young adults express regret for too much multimedia. I've yep. never heard somebody say, I just wish we would have done more screen yeah, time. No, I hear you. I hear you. I've yeah. never heard a parent say that, but yep. I've heard hundreds and, and probably thousands yep. in, in tears expressing yep. regret. Now, consistent with that, again, this would be years before we had um, cell phones and that sort of thing. But friends, the the kids that that our kids hang with, are so important. Yes. Uh, in fact, I you know I was a juvenile court judge for fifteen years, and in fact, I'm going to throw up a, a little picture here of uh, of when when that happened. Um, and believe it or not, that is me. I know it doesn't look like me, but it actually was back then. Uh, I got elected at age 27 and did that for 15 years before we went off to do some nonprofit work. But but just a couple of scriptures. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Proverbs 13, 20. And from the New Testament, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And what I would tell kids that would come before me that had broken the law. I'd say, look, you show me who you're hanging around with and I'll show you what you're going to become like. And uh, I said, it's better to have no friends than bad friends. And I have seen that with our own kids. If they start hanging around with kids going the wrong way, they're going to go the wrong way. But if we can get them in a church context, perhaps, or some, you know, some other fellowship, certainly with brothers and sisters. That's why there is a benefit to having a big family, because they can be supportive of one another. We see that that continues to go on. We've got this guy text 
And we got this gal text in our family. And and again, we have a family text where we could text everybody, but but it's just we love getting together and supporting each other, especially when we need prayer. And uh and so we've just seen the importance of of where you spend your time and with whom you spend your time. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. And I'd like to comment on the Proverbs 1320 passage because yeah. it actually gives us these two contrasting personalities, uh, yeah. fools and, and wise people. Right. And right. so in the in the ESV, it says that the companion of fools will suffer harm. But in the King James, which is the first version in which I read it years ago, it said will be destroyed. Wow. And I remember thinking about that as a parent thinking, wow, I don't want my child to be destroyed. And, you know, King James tends to put things very harshly sometimes. Sure. And and so I was thinking, okay, so how do I avoid having my child destroyed? I need to, uh, I need to think about who is a wise person and who's a foolish person. And how would I recognize one if I saw one? Sure. And so I thought the Bible gives me a couple definitions of what a fool looks like. The one is where it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Mm-hmm. So somebody who either says God doesn't exist or God is irrelevant, that's a fool. And I don't want my child spending time with that person. Right. But then the Bible gives another really interesting definition in Proverbs twenty two fifteen, where it says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's right. And so I thought to myself, well, what is it that 85% of all evangelical Christians do? They send their child to a school where the teacher stands up in front of the class and says, God is irrelevant to this class Mm -hmm. and has nothing to do with anything we'll learn here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one definition of a fool. And then then they put them in a classroom with 30 to 40 other students uh, that have foolishness bound up in their heart. And they think this will prepare my child and make them wise by giving them good socialization. Yep, yep, yep. And and then I thought on the other side, okay, so if, if they're going to become wise, they need to hang out with wise people. Yes. Well, what does a wise person look like? Well, a wise person is somebody who begins with the fear of the Lord, because that's the beginning of wisdom, according to Proverbs. And, and then also, you know, we tend to think of wise people as being those who are older, more mature, and have some life experience, mm-hmm. not the peer group. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so just you know, in that one verse, there's so much to unpack there because the Bible actually gives us a bit of a roadmap. And what we do is we segregate children and teens away from older people, teach them that the only people they can relate to are those of their mm-hmm. own age, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we basically set them up so that their companions are people who don't believe in God uh, and those who have foolishness bound up in their heart. And we think, oh, this is a recipe for success. This will go well. Yeah. And it just doesn't. Yeah, no, that's, that's well said. Well said. Oh, I like that. So there's, there's many things that we need to do. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking, should every Christian parent that cares for their kids homeschool them necessarily? Again, that's definitely a direction that many have to go if there are no good alternatives. But speaking for my own life, I was raised, went to a a very good Christian high school that actually helped me give my life to Christ and uh, to, uh, you know, really go from there. But instead of going to a Christian college, I went 800 miles away. My undergraduate school was MIT, actually. I was in a fraternity where I had one Christian fraternity brother, but I started going to Campus Crusade for Christ in a a great biblical church and, and... I actually started to grow in my faith and was able to proclaim the truth to those that didn't know him. So there is a time, I think, when our kids 
I mean, they're going to be in the cult. You can't get out of this culture. I mean, we've got to learn to lovingly share the truth. And again, if they're not ready for that, again, we, we need to homeschool and we need to protect them more. But at some point where they're ready, um, they've got to be willing to go and speak to that teacher that's you know broadcasting all this. I remember doing that in college. I had this teacher in humanities my freshman year at college, and she was just way off the mark. And I would just, maybe today, you know, I'd get kicked out of the class or, you know, kicked out of the school, you know, for, for uh, you know, being anti-woke or whatever they do. I don't know. But I'm just saying is that there, there is a time for us to, you know, basically get in there and be the follower of Christ. I'd like to comment on that. I, I wrote a book called Education, Does God Have an Opinion? Mm. And uh, this book is basically uh, a biblical philosophy of education, and it's it's drawn from dozens and dozens of passages mm. in the scripture that talk about God's view of instruction and teaching and education. And, uh, the, you know, there's plenty of admonition that we're supposed to train our children in the nurture and admonition yes. of the Lord, the fear yes. of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, we're, dis- we're, to, we're discouraged from training them in the way of the heathen. Yep. Uh, from conforming them to the pattern of this world. Here, here's what I think, Randy. I've, I've watched this for a very, very long time. And I believe that we have misdiagnosed the proper age of launch. Mm, okay. Um, and, and the biblical age for adulthood was 20. Um, there's a lot of places I could point to. You look at the Israelites coming out of the wilderness uh, the, the fact that you couldn't be conscripted for military right, service. Right. No, that's 20. right. You're right. Uh, and so, yeah. so biblically, you know, you're, you're considered an adult at 20, but I have seen that the cement really doesn't harden until mm-hmm. about 22. Okay. And what we've done is we've launched our teenagers into these secular universities at 18. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by definition, if universities could not mold and shape Mm-hmm. The, the wet clay uh, of 18, 19 year olds, they wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. The only reason they exist is that students are still very malleable at that age. Yeah. And and what we've seen statistically, I could point to a lot of um, studies, the Solomon Ash uh, conformity studies in the 50s and 60s being one uh, that that there's about a quarter of all students who own their own identity and their own values and belief systems. Yep. And they're strong enough to make it through. Yep. Uh, and that was researched all the way back to the 50s and 60s. And so correlating with this 70% fallout we're seeing in the freshman year for college students, that, that at the end of their freshman year, they say, I'm not a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that we have underestimated mm-hmm. the, in, the power of influence for yeah. the 18, 19-year-olds. I think that's and good. So what, what I've yeah. seen is that um, by the time a student is, is like 22 they, they own their identity for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to kind of shift them out of that. Mm-hmm. But boy, that 18 to 22 year old range is super, uh, the, the mm. cement's still wet. It just yeah. is. That's so good. I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't, um, uh, you know, send them to college or anything, but I think we have to be much more, mm-hmm. uh, intentional when, and if we do that to yep. say, first of all, you're going into a war zone. Yep. You know, this is not like go and have fun. Uh, you are going into an ideological war zone and to do our best to prepare them for that. To your point, and I want to uh, agree with you on what you said, that when you look at Psalm 127, 
that passage you referenced earlier about children and our quiver being full of them. Yep. The metaphor that's used there is that our children are like arrows. Yes, that's An right. Arrow is not a defensive weapon. That is true. An arrow is exclusively an offensive weapon. But when you think about those ancient warriors, they typically made their own arrows mm. and they would spend hours and hours shaping and honing that arrow until mm. they knew they had it just right and that that arrow was ready to fly straight and true. And the goal was that this warrior would go into the battlefield, would plant his feet, would reach into that quiver, take an arrow and launch that arrow as far and fast as he could into the heart of the enemy territory with the intent of inflicting much damage and yes. much harm yeah. on the purposes of the enemy. And we're really speaking good. spiritually speaking, right? You know, not yeah. warring against flesh and blood yeah. here. We're talking yeah, sure, spiritual. For sure. And so our thought as parents is that we're right now honing and fashioning these arrows for a time when they're, they're not to be a, a shield. They're not to be a defense against the world. They're to be an arrow that goes in and does damage yes. to the kingdom of darkness. I love and it. So we have to it. know what our game plan is and be intentional about that. Yep. But we also don't ever want to launch that arrow before it's fully fashioned. And, and we know it's going to fly to its intended mark because not only do we risk our own personal uh, future, we, we risk the, the future of our nation. That's true. You know? And so, so getting that, that arrow just right is important. And, um, if I can, I want to just, I want to jump on this because, you know, we just we just had a couple of fascinating things happen in our culture just mm. within recent time here. We had uh, the Asbury breakout, yes. Right? Yes. whatever you want to call that. I don't want to call it a historic revival. I think that's too too sudden and too soon, and you know, not enough data and all that. But it was something phenomenal that happened down in Asbury. Something very notable. Yeah. And then on the heels of that came this Jesus Revolution movie, which reminded us all of the uh, the Jesus movement back yes. in the 70s. Yes. And and a couple of things that have come to my mind about that. Um, and I want to contrast that with the Second Great Awakening. And the reason I want to jump in on this is because I know you and I both love his studying historic revivals. Yes. Uh, and we both pray for God to do again today in our day you know, what he's done in the past. Amen. And, and I see almost two opposite things that happened in the second great awakening and in the Jesus movement. And I think we can kind of put ourselves today with a, a similar kind of dynamic um, as, as we were with the Jesus movement 50 years ago. And so what we had during the time of Charles Finney in the second great awakening is we had churches who were raising their children in church and we're solidly teaching them biblical doctrine. They were teaching them the confessions. They were teaching them catechism. They were teaching them the creeds. They were teaching them what historic biblical Christianity truly was. And students knew these doctrines and they would be tested on them. And the students would have to answer these questions, which was what uh, catechism and confirmation were. They would have to answer these questions in order to be received into the church as a baptized member of the church. And so they would have to say, I, I understand the doctrine of God, and I understand the doctrine of man, and I understand our, our fallenness, and I recognize that we're all sinners, and that the only way to, to salvation is through Christ's justification alone. Like, they actually knew the doctrines, right? right what right. Finney saw correctly was that there was a whole generation who had gone through that process, answered all the doctrinal questions right, 
and had no relationship with Jesus. Right. And so he came preaching a message of repentance mm -hmm. and a need for, for salvation and to be born again. The church had a problem with that because for many of them, they're like, well, if you get the answers right on the pop quiz, then you're good mm -hmm. to go. Right. And, and I think Finney rightly recognized that there were people who had a lot of head knowledge, but nothing had ever happened in their heart. Mm. Well, you go to the Jesus movement and you had a bunch of hippies who are first generation Christians who got saved out of all kinds of drug, sex, rock and roll, cult and everything else. And they had a genuine experience with Jesus. Right. But most of them ended up losing their own youth. And, and what I think is that we have failed to do both things at the same time, where uh, what they tried to pass on in the Jesus movement was hopefully an experience to their young people, that their children, their teenagers would have an experience like they did with God. You can't pass on an experience. That's not something you can do for your children. I mean, right. that's a work of God. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, when someone has a radical transformation on the inside of them, that's not something a parent can do for a child. Mm -hmm. But but I think what we can do, and I just wrote a, a new uh, curriculum called Foundations in Faith, mm -hmm. uh, which is for high school students, it's for teenagers, on understanding true biblical doctrine and wow. Bible, you know, theology and Bible doctrine. Powerful. It's like a 36 week course. And so what I'm trying to do is to go back to some things that we've lost mm -hmm. in modern evangelicalism, which is that our children actually need to understand the historic Christian faith. Yeah. What makes Christianity true and what makes it uh, what makes uh, the teachings of Jesus the, the only way to salvation and everything apart from that false. Right. And so I think we need more of that systematic instruction and discipleship. But at the same time. There's a power mm -hmm. that we need to long for from the Holy Spirit for our children as well. And and that comes through prayer and intercession for them. Okay. And so what I feel like we we did in Finney's day, that was uh, you know, he was trying to find a balance and, and Finney wasn't balanced. <laughs> I just go on record as saying Finney had some real imbalances and, and it led to some imbalances. Sure, sure. It kind of mm -hmm. led to where we are today in some yep. ways from you know, disconnecting us from the church in many yep. ways, teaching kind of individual salvation that was disconnected from, you know, accountability within the church and all that. Yep. We, we yep. went too far. We swung too far the other direction uh, post Finney. But but I think what we, we have to come back to is doing the part that we can do, which is teaching and instructing. And we've not done a good job of that in the last 70 years within modern evangelicalism. Sure. Our children have grown up not really knowing what Christianity teaches, we've not given them biblical theology and we've not given them a biblical worldview. We've hoped they'd have an experience yeah, and that that experience would somehow carry them. And what I, what I see like with these, these young people in Asbury is they're hungry. They want something real. <laughs> uh, they're, they're looking for something, uh, you know, tangible and out, outside of themselves, but they're also woke. <laughs> they're also, left-leaning social progressives they still embrace cultural marxism and they're still confused about their gender identity and like we haven't fixed the worldview problem mm. and so we have to do both that's my whole point is we have yeah, to yeah. do both but i think, well, I, think make, I think you make i think you systematically line on line but then from a prayer standpoint we have yeah. to pray that god will do for them yeah. what we can't do for them and just really get a hold of their hearts because i want my children to have
Yeah. That kind of radical life-shaking experience with God as well That's as right. having That's right. this sound bi- biblical doctrine. And I yep. don't see why we can't do both. Yeah. You know, it makes me think, you know, a couple of things, but one is um, that Jesus came full of two things, you know, grace and truth. And we're big on the grace side, big on the feeling side, emotions. I mean, that's what our culture is all about. I feel I'm female. I feel I'm, you know, whatever. Feelings are trump everything else rather than truth. There is truth. I remember when I went to college many years ago, if you had asked me, again, I was a Christian. If you'd asked me, why should I become a Christian? I'd say, well, it's going to make you feel better. Well, then Francis Schaeffer, Dr. Francis Schaeffer came from Switzerland uh, to Boston where I was going to school, and he said, you know, if you want to feel better, take drugs. He says, this is true truth. That was a term he used. And that that really profoundly influenced my life at that time. I needed that at the time. Yes. But the other thing you talk about is prayer. And uh, before we started recording here, um, you know, I told the, the somewhat hilarious or humorous uh, statement, you know, in in real estate, they say, what are the three most important things in real estate? Location, location, location. And I say the three most important things in parenting. Again, you've got to be a good example. You've got to love them and train them. And so, But it's pray, pray, pray. You will never find parents at the end of their life say, you know what? I wasted so much time praying for my kids. But I think you're going to find a lot of parents at the end of their life saying, I wish I'd spent more time on my knees praying for kids. And I'm just going to show one more little slide here. We had a couple of sons who kind of lost their way along the way. And again, 18, 17, 18, during that critical time. And uh, again, but Marcia and I, I, I give her more credit than me, very frankly. Um, you know, uh, that, that she, and let me just start this thing going here. Uh, current slide. There we go. There we go. Um, just kept praying and uh, clo- quoting verses like Isaiah fifty four thirteen, where it says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Then another great verse in Isaiah 59, the last verse in that chapter. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on your children's children, grandkids, forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. God. And I'm just saying that we just would go to the Lord. And that's our family, by the way, down there. And I just, each one of those kids, by the grace of God, is pursuing Jesus Christ right now and trying to train their kids to do the same thing. And I'm just so I tell my kids, you can never give me your dad a better present than have you been pursuing Jesus, you know, full speed. And and they are, by the grace of God. And I give the credit mostly to Marsha praying even more intently than I have over the years, but I'm learning. And uh, just seeing the, the, the importance of just crying out to God and taking some of those promises and giving them to God. And uh, so prayer is so, so critical. So thank you for for that example that you are as well. How can people get your books if they want to learn more? What, what's the best way to, to have access to your books? So I would encourage them to uh, order from our web store on our website, which is familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org forward slash store. Um, we encourage people to uh, pick them up from us. If you order them from us, uh, I'll sign them personally for you. Uh, and also a lot of people don't know this about Amazon, but if you're traditionally published as an author, 
Amazon makes almost all the profit. And uh, traditionally published authors make very, very little, usually about 65 cents on a $10 book. So it's it's not a huge help to authors to grab their books on Amazon, at least when they're yep. traditionally published. So uh, we encourage you to get them from familyrenewal.org. And uh, we have a lot of resources on there for uh, parenting from toddlers through you know teenagers and yep. uh, a lot of apologetics material and discipleship awesome. resources and devotionals and all kinds of stuff. So Well, you are an incredible resource. I'm just uh, so thankful for your faithfulness and courage and love for God and for your wife or your kids, but for for our culture. Uh, and and you know we're we are in such need of revival, true revival of heart change. But that includes, as you say, grace and truth. Anything you want to add, or otherwise, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer. Yeah, I mean, I just think about for my own life, uh, I was really grateful that at 15 years old, God got a hold of my heart in a powerful and experiential way. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. It was a just a pivotal moment in my life. Mm. Uh, I had already, I'd been raised in church and already believed the doctrines. Right. But I just, I, I just had this encounter with God that shook me to the I core of it. who I was. But then when I was 17, I found a book by Josh McDowell on apologetics, and it just changed the trajectory of my life because I realized that Christianity was was defensible and that it was true. Yes. And that I didn't have to rely on just, you know, an emotional experience as, as great as that is. I'm not against that, yeah. but um, that I, I actually could get answers as well. And that led me to, you know, really understanding the importance of, of studying doctrine and theology as well. And 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 just you know that that worshiping in spirit and in truth, as you said, it's it's one of those things that the Bible always has this contrast, and we tend to get in a ditch on one side or the yes, other. You're right, and and I think for us as parents, um, you know, we can't do everything for our children. We can't save our children. What we can do is teach them well, model well, and then pray for God to do the thing that we can't do in them. Yeah. And and I remember reading a book on parenting from Andrew Murray. So I'm uh -huh. sure you, you, I love his books. I just yeah. he raised eight children, uh, all of whom either were pastors or missionaries or married pastors or missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he and Emma, his wife, just had a wonderful track record. And in in his book on parenting, you know, he said, "But when you pray, like don't pray in doubt for yes. your children, uh, no matter how bad the culture is. Mm -hmm. You know, you pray." realizing that God has more invested in this than you do. That's so and God good. loves these children more than you ever could. And that God will continue working in their lives, even when you are no longer in the picture and you're no longer able to have the influence you wish that you could. Uh, Jesus said, my father is always working to this very day. And I myself am working. God is always working uh, in reaching those children and those seeds that you've planted there. You yes. have to have faith that God's word never returns void. That's good. And so you pray with with confidence, not in confidence sake and not in yourself, but confidence in the heart of God, that it That's is it. the heart of God to reach and save your children. That's right. And they really ultimately belong to him, not to That's us. Right. And that's key. That's key. And he loves them, as you point out, more than we ever could. And yeah. he has, you know, and so to pray with that sense of, okay, Lord, that's how we prayed for these sons. And they came back. And we, the, the one that was far away, we pray with him every week on the phone. He lives in the Colorado area and he loves Jesus. 
He's, he's being a light, and that is a Praise total God. credit to God. So why don't you close us in prayer, would you, brother? All right. Father, we just thank you that we can call you Father. Mm-hmm. And Lord, we have learned, in spite of ourselves and just our many weaknesses and failures and maybe lack of positive role models and just mm-hmm. you know, our generation is really... Um, <laughs> As a generation, we just lost our way. But Lord, we thank you that you are a good father and that you are a good example to us. And we can learn how to parent our children because of the example that you have set. We thank you that you've given us your word and that you have given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And you've given us your Holy Spirit and you give us wisdom when we ask, as the book of James says. And Lord, you've just given us everything that we need for this process of raising these children for your glory and and we'll do it imperfectly and we won't do it all right but lord we just pray that we would continue to mm-hmm. to get back up and and turn to you when we make mistakes that we would confess our sins that we would keep short accounts with our children and our wives and husbands or that we would just um continue to seek you and that uh, you would be merciful and you'd be kind to our children, that you would do for them what we can't do for them, that you would reach their hearts, that you would save their souls, draw them to yourself, show them your glory, show them your goodness, your kindness. Lord, we know it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so Lord, just help them to see just how perfect you are. Even if they have a hard time seeing you because of what bad examples we've been as earthly parents, Lord, we just pray that you would help them to see uh, that uh, you're not like us, that you are good and you are perfect and that they can trust you with all their heart. And so we commit ourselves, our families, our children, our uh, grandchildren, for those that are grandparents, Lord, we just commit these young people to you. Help us, Lord, not to give in to just the fear that can overwhelm us because of how bad the culture is, but to realize that light shines brightest in the darkness. That's right. There's more opportunity right now for, for your glory to be seen and for you to be uh, lifted up uh, and that we can shine as bright lights in this dark culture because of your grace. And so, Lord, I just thank you for my brother, Randy. I thank you for his wife, Marsha. I thank you for their heart and for their passion for you, uh, for the great example that they've been to many, many parents like Brooke and I, and many young people who have uh, seen them as role models. And Lord, just help us to continue to be faithful for those who are following along behind, that we will truly leave a legacy that honors you. I just pray that you'll bless them, bless their ministry, give them health and strength to continue the work that they're doing. And God, we just commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your heart. And I I really trust that this is going to touch many, many, many parents and ultimately the children. And I pray our whole culture. So thank you. Praise God. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.